Welcome to the APOE4.info podcast, where we discuss science and health from our perspective as carriers of a gene associated with higher risk of Alzheimer's and heart disease. Here is your host, Julie Gregory. Hi, friends. I'm very excited to have Dr. Terry Walls with us today. She has an impressive resume, but an even more impressive story. She's an Institute for Functional Medicine certified practitioner and a clinical professor of medicine at the University of Iowa, where she conducts clinical trials. In 2018, she was awarded the Institute for Functional Medicine's Linus Pauling Award for her contributions to research, clinical care, and patient advocacy. What makes Dr. Wall so exceptional is that she is also a patient with secondary progressive multiple sclerosis, which confined her to a tilt-reclined wheelchair for four years. Dr. Walls restored her health using a diet and lifestyle program very similar to those used by members of our community. She now pedals her bike to work each day. She is the author of The Walls Protocol, a radical new way to treat all chronic autoimmune conditions using paleo principles. In our show notes, we'll have links to all of her research papers and information on how to connect with her. Without further delay, welcome, Dr. Walls. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. Very glad to be here. Yeah, you were very kind to join us several years ago in Boulder at the uh, Ancestral yeah. Health Symposium. Um, I have to say, your talk energized members of our community so much. Oh. And I'm going to get into the reasons a little bit later. But first, I want to start with your story. For listeners sure. who aren't familiar, can you, can you share that with us? So I'm a conventional internal medicine doc uh, teaching at an academic center. And so I, I'm really devoted to the latest science, the best technology, the newest drugs. And I'm actually very skeptical of special diets, uh, supplements, all that complimentary, you know, jazz. It's a waste of money. But God has a mysterious way of teaching us uh, to pay more attention. Because in 2000, I started developing weakness in my left leg. I was evaluated uh, by neurology. I had spinal taps. Uh, uh, MRIs of my brain, spinal cord, lots and lots of blood tests, nerve conduction velocity tests. Uh, and I was told that I had multiple sclerosis. And again, wanting to treat my disease very aggressively because I, you know, I, that's what I believe in. I did some research to find the uh, best center here in the Midwest. Uh, went to see them, took the newest drugs, went steadily downhill. Within uh, three years, I'm in a short reclined wheelchair. Now, fortunately, my uh, physician colleagues uh, at uh, the Cleveland Clinic, where I was getting my care, mentioned the work of Lauren Cordane. I read his books, his papers, uh, and after uh, 20 years of being a low-fat vegetarian, I went back to eating meat. I gave up all grain, all legumes, all dairy, I, and I continued to go downhill. But I stayed with that diet because it's like, okay, at least I'm doing something. Uh, and uh, then I'm in the totally recline wheelchair. I'm taking uh, my Zantrone. I continue to go downhill. Then I take Tizabri. 
Uh, and so relentless, relentless decline. It was very clear that the best conventional drugs from the best MS centers in the country, including these new potent biologic drugs that you know cost thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars every month, were not going to stop my slide into a bedridden, uh, demented line. Because I also have trigeminal neuralgia, which is intense surgical pains across your face, right. that were getting more frequent, more severe, more difficult to turn off. I thought I was likely to face uh, um, intractable pain. By 2007, um, you know, I can't sit up uh, anymore. I'm in a sort of kind wheelchair or bedroom. I can walk very short distances with two walking sticks, about 10 feet. Uh, I'm beginning to have brain fog. Uh, my pain is more and more unmanageable. I, and uh, that's when I discovered the Institute for Functional Medicine. I take their course in neuroprotection. I have a longer list of supplements. Uh, and I've been reading uh, ancestral health, functional medicine, uh, in my basic science. Uh, and then I have this really, really big aha, fortunately. Like, what if I redesign my paleo diet based on the basic science and this long, everything I learned from functional medicine. Uh, and so and I have to figure out where they are in the food supply. So that's more research. So all in all, this takes me about six months to get sorted out. And I begin that new way of eating uh, in December. And three months later, my pain is gone, my fatigue is gone, and I am beginning to walk with a cane. Uh, in six months, I'm on my bike for the first time in six years, and I bike around the block. You know, I'm crying, my wife's crying, my kids are crying, and I'm like, um, I'm beginning to think, like, who knows how much recovery might be possible. And uh, in six more months, I do a 18.5-mile bike ride with my family. So at, at that point, you know, clearly how I think about disease and health has changed how I practice medicine has changed. Uh, ultimately, uh, the type of research that I do would change. And, and then I have this mission that I, I need to teach the world what I'm doing and how I'm thinking about stuff. And if they agree that vegetables and meditation exercise are pretty safe, they too could begin implementing those in their lives as I do the clinical trials that demonstrate the efficacy and change clinical practice. That is so powerful. I was wondering where you made that segue from traditional medicine to functional medicine. And I guess it was through your experience, which it was. And the fact that you've now taken this and are spreading it to other sufferers of multiple sclerosis and many other disease states. Uh, correct. You know, um, for many of us in the integrative and functional medicine round of the physicians, we end up here because we develop a serious health problem. We go down the conventional route because that's what we're trained in. And it doesn't work. Uh, and then either the physician gives up, it's like, okay, they're screwed. They're just going to suffer. Or they're curious and they investigate the way I did, find some alternative solutions. And then we can't go back because we now see exactly. the world in a very different way. Exactly. That is so, so powerful. Um, I sort of want to touch base. I know multiple sclerosis is an autoimmune condition. And just for our listeners, I want to kind of connect that somewhat with the APOE4 gene. Oh, oh absolutely. 
Yeah. So, you know, the, what I, um, for autoimmunity as it affects the brain, uh, the big drivers there are the microglia are activated uh, and they are uh, producing inflammatory proteins and leading to rapid loss of brain cells and disruptions of the connections of the synapses between brain cells, uh, which is why uh, people with a neuroinflammation problem like MS or who have a serious autoimmune problem that has mental health components to it or neurologic symptoms, we're all at dramatically higher uh, risks for cognitive decline, early dementias, and uh, serious disabling mental health problems. You know, and myself, you know, back at my nadir, uh, uh, you know, age 52, I was beginning to have problems with brain fog wow. uh, and uh, problems with attention, focus, recall. Uh, and of course, um, fortunately, that completely resolved as I implemented my protocol. And, and then as, as we're implementing that in our clinics, uh, we, again, uh, we would see that people with brain fog attention, memory, mental health issues would also likewise experience dramatic improvements. And usually in in pretty short order, certainly within uh, three months. Right. I see so much overlap in your protocol with the strategies that many members in our community are using. And we know the APOE4 gene is pro-inflammatory. And we even know that beta amyloid is an antimicrobial and it's protective to a point. Yes. Yes, right. Yes. So I see lots of overlap and I'm glad that you see it as well. Yeah. And you know, absolutely. The microglia are, are, are dysfunctional with APOE4. Uh, detoxification is dysfunctional with APOE4. Uh, and for MS, uh, the uh, microglia are dysfunctional. Sure. And many, many folks with uh, MS and other autoimmune diseases, we have excessive um, toxins uh, stored in our fat. unfortunately often in our brain, which uh, accelerate the inflammation uh, and lead to that overactivation of the microglia. Right. And we have all of these same issues as well. So for any of our listeners that are thinking, why are we talking about multiple sclerosis? We're not just talking about multiple sclerosis. We're talking about brain health. Yeah, it's brain brain. We're talking about microglia. We're talking about why... Um, the APOE4 person, uh, we, we know that they have difficulty clearing mercury. We know they can have difficulty clearing lead and arsenic. Definitely. Uh, and so uh, improving those clearances, which is part of you know, what will happen, because uh, that's how I've designed my protocol, will be very helpful. Right. So your message and your research have come a long way in the last five years. Can you update us? You know, so in 2014, uh, well, actually in 2011, my TED Talk started to go viral, uh, which meant a lot of people were going into the neurologist saying, well, what about that MS doctor? Tremendous resistance. Uh, And the message was food doesn't matter. 2014, uh, the Walls Protocol for Sedition comes out, uh, and a lot of people are talking to the neurologists. And again, the message was, food doesn't matter. There's no science that's, you know, it's a little crazy making. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, fortunately, since then, or during that whole time period, uh, there's really been an explosion of research yeah, in terms of how food 
uh, diet lifestyle will turn genes on and on and can turn on disease-promoting genes or turn on health-promoting genes, depending on what we eat and what we do. And you know what? Vegetables turn on the health-promoting genes. Sugar turns on the disease-promoting genes. So that's pretty straightforward. And likewise, stress reduction and exercise uh, will turn on the health-promoting genes. Uh, in being sitting around, disease-promoting, being continually stressed without any periods of relaxation, disease-promoting genes. We've also had an explosion in the microbiome world. Who knew your poop right. was valuable? Which is why I have all those poops on my shelves. Right. I wish you all could see it. Dr. Walls has about six enormous, it looks like um, twisted Hershey's kisses sitting yeah. on her shelves, but they are poop. And I love poop. that. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I'm a farm kid at heart. I grew up on a farm. My parents and my grandparents, uh, we talked a lot about poop. I have a lot of experience handling uh, poop from a wide variety of species. We would, uh, you know, pitch out the manure spread it on our fields because that was so important to maintain the fertility of the soil and the production of uh, the fields. And you could tell a lot about the health of the animals by looking at their manure. I rushed off to medical school and you know, I distanced myself from the farm and I'm you know, laughing at people, my old patients who are focused on their poop. Uh, but now, once again, I realized like, my parents, my grandparents were so wise about how important uh, the human manure is, our poop that tells us about the health of the individual, uh, and that we have to feed our microbiome. We have to feed our microbes. Uh, the research can, just continues to explode year after year. You could go to pubmed.gov, type in the disease that you're interested in, and I bet you could do this for APOE4. You know, type in APOE4, add in the microbiome, and see what comes up. And likely you're going to find a bunch of interesting research. What, what does appear to be the very common theme is the healthy people have a different microbiome than us sick folks. And depending on the disease state and the, where you are in the world, the differences will be um, somewhat unique to your disease state and your region. And part of that is because, um, you know, if we look at our ancestral mothers, thousands of generations ago. Mm -hmm. Well, because our DNA has random mutations with every generation, if that random mutation in our ancestral mother thousands of generations ago, when it could no longer make a compound XYZ, that was an important part of our health. That was important to our reproductive success. So I can't make it anymore, my ancestral mother, but my microbes could. Mm. They, they kept making XYZ, it, it would diffuse over into my bloodstream, I'd pick it up, and I still had reproductive success. And so my ancestral grandmother, however many generations it was, at that instant, the gene for making XYZ had gotten exported from her DNA into her microbes' DNA. And that's how we managed over thousands and millions of generations, prune our DNA down to only about 23,000 genes. And we have about 5 million genes in our gut microbes to fill in the gaps. So if you have a narrow diversity of microbes, you're probably missing a lot of processes to make compounds that were, would be important for reproductive success and health. That was explained so beautifully. 
and I didn't mean to get into this, but if you could just give me like a one minute answer to this, given the importance of your microbiome, what do you think about this new trend of the carnivore diet? Well, so um, we have a few societies that have eaten only meat right. and they thrived. Uh, the vast majority of societies have a mixture of plants uh, and meat. The societies that ate only meat and thrived um, were eating their meat raw. It was wild. Uh, and uh, it, most of those societies would have occasionally have plant materials in them as well. Right. So for a temporary diet, it may be beneficial for a long-term diet. I don't know that we have good um, data on the long-term safety. I, I know it's going to uh, change your uh, lipid profile in ways that appear to be unhealthy. It appears to uh, leave you with high insulin, which is uh, a problem for your brain. Right. Uh, it appears to leave you with very high mammalian target of rampamycin, which does increase the risk uh, of cancers. So right. uh, I, I would be very hesitant to do this long-term. Right. These the ancestral peoples that did that ate their meat raw, and they ate a snout to tail. They ate, they every, ate everything. Yeah, everything of the animal. So, and it it makes me nervous as well when people in our modern society are just using muscle meat because they're missing out on so many of the nutrients. Uh, oh, absolutely! If you eat only yeah. muscle meat, it really drives up the uh, mTORs. Exactly. Um, and you, you you yes, it is not the same. Right. Well, I'm sorry for that little diversion, but I appreciate your, your input on that. You've already talked a little bit about this, but what would you consider the key parts of your dietary and lifestyle plan? You know, uh, so I tweaked the uh, paleo diet, which as I interpreted it was focused on what to remove because uh, I removed grain, legumes, dairy. Uh, now I focused on what to add. Uh, and uh, so I, I ramped up the greens, the cabbage family, uh, mushroom family, onion family, and deeply pigmented vegetables. I added fermented foods, seaweed. I was much more emphatic on the snout to tail concept, organ meat, bone broth, uh, and actually decreased the meat consumption. So it's six to 12 ounces of meat. If you're a big guy doing a lot of physical work, yes, you may need more. Um, but it, it's a much more moderate amount of uh, meat and a much more robust amount of vegetables. It's nine cups. Uh, and if you're hungry, just eat more vegetables, you know? Exactly. So you're not to be hungry. If, if you're petite and very small, then yes, maybe only six cups of vegetables. Um, because I'm, I'm a tall lady, six foot, uh, and most of my patients were men. So in my practice, nine cups was, so nine to 12 cups was really pretty easy. But in my clinical trials, where I have more women, right, and they're petite sometimes, then we may be much closer to six cups. Sure, your diet sounds very similar to my diet. I love all the cruciferous for de yes. detoxification. That's so important. What are your thoughts on dietary fat? Is your diet a <laughs> ketogenic diet? So, um, in my diet, I, I, I create um, flexibility. So we have. Uh, basically four different versions of the diet. Um, uh, and so depending on your clinical uh, symptoms and your spiritual beliefs, um, then I will may put you on any one of these four diets. Uh, so I have a plan for vegetarian and vegans uh, so they can do that safely and still honor their spiritual beliefs. 
We have a plan for meat eaters. We have a plan for those who need a ketogenic diet. And even within that, I sort out um, what is their tolerance for MCTs. Uh, do we need to keep them on a lower saturated fat diet or not? And then uh, we have a, a lower lectin diet for those who have a rheumatoid arthritis and are more likely to have trouble with uh, nightshades. Wow, you've thought of everything. And you know, and I, I appreciate and I, that. Right, and I go through that in my book about how to give people guidance as to, given their situation, which of these four diets would be their best place to start. Uh, and then if they don't get the response that they want, what is the next step? Right. Okay. I'm very excited by your new book. But before we start talking about that, I need to tell you what energized members of our community when we met with you. What they were most excited about was how much you do with how little. And we were thinking back then in terms of your work with veterans. You didn't have an unlimited budget, and yet you were achieving amazing things with really yeah. affordable biomarkers. And what excites us is that, you know, we're in it for the long haul, and we're going to be on these protocols for the rest of our lives. And many of the clinicians and scientists we follow recommend very expensive uh, biomarker testing. And you don't usually use those. You know, um, so the, the, the curse and the beauty of my <laughs> initial clinical practice was I was at the VA. Right. Uh, and so at first, when I was doing this in my trank ranger clinic, I got to order no labs. I saw people 20 minutes twice a year. No. And I got stunning, you know, I had great success with these guys. Uh, in my primary care uh, clinic, I could do primary care sorts of labs, you know, lipids, uh, blood glucose, hemoglobin A1C, uh, vitamin D level. And that's, you know, all the words. Very and basic. Yeah. Great results. And then my, the VA said, you know what, we're going to take you out of primary care. We'll create your own clinic. And now I, could, well, I couldn't get any more fancy labs than that. Um, I could now get to have a little bit more time, but I had so much demand, I, I flipped things over into group classes very quickly so we could accommodate everyone. And, you know, at, at the, when I first started doing this, I was sort of annoyed with the VA that I couldn't order these fancy tests. Right. But now I am so glad the VA didn't let me order those fancy tests because I realized for the vast majority of individuals, you don't need them. What you have to do is inspire them, create confidence, hope, and possibility, and then help them through the complex behavior change process because changing your diet and lifestyle is challenging for most of us. Right. The reason people fail generally is not that they didn't get the latest $20,000 workup. It's that you didn't help them through that behavior change process and that they really couldn't fully embrace the diet. Because if, if you do the Walls diet 70%, or 90%, you haven't really tested the question, could the diet help you? You have to really do it 100% meticulously for at least 100 days before you know, will the experiment work or not? Right. I think that your philosophy is so beautiful. And I love that it translates to our international audience. Oh, um, because those people don't have access to the fancy tests that some of us can order. And, and the vast majority of people don't need that. Right. You know, if we address, uh, you know, provide the education, the inspiration, help 
people through the behavior change process. And we address all the environmental factors, address the microbiome. Life is, is generally, a, we're alive because of self-correcting biochemistry and our cells will begin to repair themselves. Now, yeah, it, it'll, it'll take longer this way. Sure. Um, but so many folks in my functional medicine world, they do all these tests to try and convince the person to make the change. In my world, it's like, if you want to work with me, here are the rules. And if you're not ready, that's fine. You can stay with your primary care doc. When you are ready to be all in, then we can work with you. Wow. That is so powerful and so inspirational. Um, as we mentioned earlier, you have a new book coming out. Yes. And it uh, shares some revisions from your current protocol. Um, yeah. So what, what we've, we've uh, tuned up the uh, diet a bit more. There's okay. more information on histamines, uh, oxalates, uh, lectins. Uh, so I give people a little more guidance uh, how to address uh, those nuances. Uh, and, um, and then we have a lot, a lot more clarity around the walls elimination diet, that low lectin diet, and who should probably start there, who can start with a, a lower level diet. And uh, all the stuff on fasting, time-restricted oh. feeding, periodic fasting, uh, stem cells. Who benefits from a stem cell transplant if you're going to go down that route? Um, what are the uh, risks, benefits? And how to get your own stem cells. I mean, why not just get your own stem cells boosted as you live without having to go get a stem cell transplant or a uh, fat you know, liposuction stem cell transplant uh, for yourself? Uh, and so those are really exciting. Oh, for sure. What's the uh, name of your, of your new book? So it's the revised, expanded uh, Walls Protocol, okay. a radical new way to treat all autoimmune conditions. And when do you think it's going to be available? Uh, March 17th. Oh, St. Patrick's Day. All right. It's going to be very exciting. Very exciting. Well, in closing, I want to thank Dr. Walls for generously sharing your time with us. Um, you uh, inspire us every time that we meet with you, and you always teach us. I'm going to be looking for your new book. I encourage others to be on the lookout as well. And we hope you'll visit with us again soon. So thank you, Dr. Walls. One moment. I, I want yeah. to tell your, your audience, I know your audience really is into research. You can, yes. They should go to terrywalls.com forward slash research papers. Okay. And then you get, pick up all of our papers. I am going to share that address on our show notes. Oh, perfect. Plus, uh, plus a ton of other information because I think you're one of those people we need to follow. You're doing the same thing that I'm doing and I think many members of our community are doing. So thank you again. This is really, really great. That is wonderful. The APOE4.info community of citizen scientists is on a mission to learn what strategies move us toward vibrant health and away from the pathologies associated with our high-risk gene. If you're another carrier, or suspect you might be based upon family history, or even if you just want to learn how to protect your brain and heart, be sure to check us out on the web at APOE4.info.